Hey everybody, it's Charles from HumbleMechanic.com today taking your questions on turbo seals leaking, pulling fuses, BR6 breather systems, and more. This is episode 264 of the Humble Mechanic Podcast. All right, so back in action, new Q&A shows, super pumped to be doing these for you guys again in audio only. We're going to test drive that for a little while, figure out if going back to video as well is the right choice or not. Always testing things to see what works the best for me. And of course, for you guys, I'm sort of getting back in the groove this morning after being in Finland last week, uh, rocking around in some RS4s, RS5s, and Audi Q3 hatchback, and uh, running around in the Arctic Circle. Total, total crazy experience. A lot of fun. More on that later, though. I'm actually working on a video all about where you should install the best tires on your car. The results may shock you. Actually, when you think about it, it makes total sense, but... Cool topic. Anyway, we'll save that for the video. So if you want to get a question on a show like this, the way to do that is to email me, charles at humblemechanic.com. Put question for Charles in the subject line. Then go to the body of your email. Type your question first. Hey, Charles, what happens when I don't torque a wheel properly? Give me some space. Then put in the story and the details of your question. It really helps me out so much when I know what you're asking while I'm reading the details of the question. I know it sounds silly, I know it sounds crazy, but guys, I get so much like communications at me. I wanna make sure that I do right by you and actually answer the question you're asking and not assuming you're asking a different question than you are. I don't mean to sound nitpicky about it, it's just really a way for me to do a better job to help out you guys. These Q&A shows are so awesome because you guys are the drivers of the topics. Whatever you're asking about is what I'm answering. So it's a lot of fun and it gives me an idea of kind of what's going on out in the humble mechanic community. Before we get into your questions, though, real quick, want to remind you guys, if you like the show, you want to throw some support my way, very, very appreciative of that. You can do that by joining the crew membership program. However, it is not a charity. This is actually designed so that you benefit. You can actually, this sounds crazy, you can actually like make money by supporting the show. So it's kind of win all the way around. What you get for this crew membership program is you get discounts to places like Black Forest, MT Knives, Sonic Tools. I just redid the code for USP Motorsports, Petrol Box, Scanner Danner's Engine Diagnostic Book, Adams Polishes, Kerma TDI, My Canic Prime Shades. Did you ever see me wearing sunglasses? Those are probably prime shades and a whole bunch more. In addition to that, you get access to the books that I write for the VW Audi classes that I teach. Those are like $375 a pop to come to one of the classes. So you get those included with your crew membership. Also, there's a pretty cool Facebook group that is just a smaller group, a little bit better access to me and questions. And those guys are a lot of fun over there too. So if you want to check that out, there's of course a link in the description or you could hover up to the top right corner and click on crew membership benefits and I'll tell you all about it. All right, so with that, let's jump into your questions. First one up is from Ryan. Says, hey Charles, I have a 2011 Audi 2.0 turbo and I have a question. The car has 150K on it, but the motor and trans only have 45, but the turbo has the original 150. So this car got a new engine, new transmission at some point, well, about 105,000 miles ago, but the turbo was not replaced. Ryan had the intercooler hoses off and noticed there was some oil in the hoses and he looked it up and it seems like it could be normal. So basically Ryan wants to know, is this a problem with the turbocharger or is this a normal condition? So Ryan, great question. This really depends. How much oil are we talking? Are we talking about like a wetness 
in the charge cooler, a wetness in the inlet and outlet hose, totally normal. Even if you take that hose off and you get a bit of oil dripping out, super duper normal. Uh, that could be from other things as well as the turbocharger. There's going to be some blow-by from PCV, <laughs> depending on which 2-liter Audi you have. Piston rings were another issue as well, which could all result in some oil buildup in the charge cooler. Some of that is going to be normal. Now, if you take that boost hose off and you get like half a liter of oil coming out, yeah, that's probably a pretty big problem. You're also going to have a smoke screen coming out of the back of your car because all that oil is going to you know, eventually go through the engine and, and burn out. So we kind of have to use our judgment here. Is this a lot of oil or is this a little bit? You know, if, if you are doing this and you think, hey, maybe I have an issue with my turbocharger, when you take that hose off, the hose it to the charge cooler or really anywhere in the system, it's just that the charge coolers are the lowest part. So that oil tends to settle there. If you take a cup and capture the amount of oil and you have, I don't know, 10 milliliters of fluid come out, I'm not worried about that. If you have half a liter, I'm, I am <laughs> very worried about that. Something also we want to keep in mind, you know, I've had situations where I've had the car up in the air at the shop, pull the boost hose off, and it looks like there's just 50 gallons coming out of that charge cooler. And you actually look at it and realize it's, it's not that much. A small amount of oil will make a pretty big size puddle on the ground. So if you can, if you're worried about this, try and capture it. And that way you can actually get a good measurement, not just eyeball it. I have seen very few of these turbochargers fail in the seals inside the turbocharger. I've seen a lot of these turbochargers fail in other ways. We've talked about like the wastegate actuator arm failing and that. But as far as the seals fail and straight blowing oil through the, through the system, I haven't seen that a whole lot. So I'm, I'm not super concerned about it. This is also, though, a good opportunity if you want to clean that charge cooler out, clean those pipes out, definitely recommended to do that. We don't need that oil in there. That oil can also trap contaminants and stuff. And while I'd rather have it trapped in the oil in the charge cooler than in the engine, I'd rather not have either one have any kind of issue. So, Ryan, it really depends on what you mean by a fair amount. Are we talking about a small stream coming out and then it's done? Are we talking about just a little residue that you could just wipe out and it's gone? Or are we talking that the charge cooler feels like it's full and, uh, and that being the issue? I'm going to guess that it's probably not that big of a deal. However, this is a good opportunity to, to look at some of the other maintenance. Maybe we need to go ahead and do a PCV valve. Maybe we need to analyze the engine and see if there's any other problems. But man, probably, stuff. I'm just guessing here because I'm not looking at it, probably not that big of a deal. All right, next one up is from Nick. Just wanted to ask one question as a longtime fan of yours. I know the door lock module is bad for sure. The key fob doesn't work to deactivate the alarm and I understand it's very hard to bypass it otherwise. I was reading about removing fuse 6 and 14 disables the alarm from the central locking system as a temporary fix until I can buy a new module. Have you had any experience with this? And would this possibly immobilize the car upon startup? All right, Nick, this really depends on the car. So the way I think about these cars is not necessarily in individual systems that compile and complete one whole car. These systems are all tied together. Very rarely in our vehicles is one fuse directly tied to only one component. So a good example is there is one fuse that controls the 12 volt outlets. If that fuse blows, most of our cars, VW Audi cars, the only thing that's impacted is a 12 volt outlet. 
Odds are it's both 12-volt outlets or multiple 12-volt outlets if the car has multiple, but that's really all that's impacted if that one fuse blows. There are other components that are that way too, but for the most part, if we have a fuse we pull, it's going to have a bigger impact than just one thing. What I mean is there's not one fuse that only controls a door latch or a door, left front, right front, whatever. There's not two fuses that only control one door. There's not one fuse that just controls the doors. These systems are tied in together all over the vehicle. The newer the car gets, the more everything is integrated and pulling one fuse can kind of have a cascading effect of other modules, even if, if we looked at the wiring diagram and fuse six only goes to the convenience module, we pull that fuse, part of the convenience module may work, but it may cause something squirrely to happen, say, with the instrument cluster, just as for an example. So I generally don't recommend, hey, just pull this fuse out and you're going to be fine. Now, it doesn't say which kind of car you have or what year or anything like that. So that may be the case that we could pull a fuse and disable part of the central locking system. But what else is that going to do to our car? These convenience modules control other things. So I'm, I'm just picturing this being like a B5 uh, Passat or B5 and a half Passat. So... 98 to 05, I think. If we pull that convenience module fuse, our windows aren't going to work. Our door locks aren't going to work. Some other stuff is not going to work. And the car might not start because our start authorization does go through the convenience module. So here's what I would do, Nick, if this was me and I was concerned about that. I would start by pulling fuse six and see what happens. If it just kills the alarm going off and maybe your window's not working and you can live with that, I would live with it. If it has another kind of problem, like the car doesn't start, well, then clearly that's not something you're going to want to do. If this were a 1975 Chevrolet pickup truck, we could probably pull one fuse and it would only impact that one system. But because our car is so interconnected, all our modules rely on each other, the signals are interwoven together, the days of just pulling a fuse and disabling one thing, I don't want to say they're dead, but man, it's not like it was... Geez, even 30 years ago, and even going back to 1999, that's the case, and that was, what, 20, 21 years ago, so that was a long, long, long time ago. So, Nick, try it out, see what happens, and hopefully it'll work for you as a temporary solution, but I can't tell you 100% for sure that if you pull two fuses you're not going to have any other issue or you're not going to disable another system in the car. Even the Mark 3s, you could bypass the module. There were a handful of alarm modules that would go bad and you could not start the car. You could bypass that, but then you would have other issues as well. So give it a shot. See what happens. Hopefully you can get that door latch replaced sooner rather than later. All right, next one up is from Brad. Charles, first up, Miata's looking awesome. Thanks for that, Brad. I appreciate it. Now for the question. I have a 1997 Eurovan chassis Rialta. If you guys have never seen a Rialta, it is a Eurovan with a camper in the backs. They are big. We didn't work on them a ton at the shop because, well, they wouldn't really fit in the shop door. They are that big. All right, back to Brad's question. The PCV valve and crankcase breather. I can find no information on it anywhere, even the Bentley repair manual. I had to get a new one and found it in Latvia, but it doesn't seem to have a valve. It's just an open breather. It has a vacuum line from the intake, but it isn't a sealed system either. Just sucks vacuum through constantly. Can you shed any light in the system and how it works? I'm used to seeing a normal PCV valve. 
that works like, well, a valve. Thanks for all you do. Your videos are great, even for an old guy like me with 30 plus years in the industry learning a lot about VWs. Thanks, Brad. Okay, Brad. All right. For your 1997 Eurovan, you should have a VR6 in it. This should be very similar to the VR6 that is in my GTI, my 98 GTI. That breather is a pretty simple setup. It's basically inside the valve cover. As the vapors come up, it goes through the valve cover. There may or may not be a little heater in the hose that goes from the valve cover to the air intake. That'll heat that up and burn off like some oil residue. And then it just gets rerouted back into the air intake and then goes through the engine and burns it. Depending on what valve cover that has, the plastic ones on the GTIs, it just had different layers, whereas the vapors that are oil-saturated come up, it would hit that, the oil would cool, and the oil would fall back down into the engine. The metal one, like I replaced on the GTI, I had a plastic one, I put a metal one on, has is actually serviceable. You can take the cover off, you can take this like mesh stuff out of it, almost like chain mail, clean it out, and put it back in. These are all meant to, as that vapor hits it, the oil either cools or sticks and then falls back into the engine. There's not a lot of serviceability to it. Typically what you see happen is the hose rots away from being saturated in oil or the heater fails. I know 42 Draft makes a repair kit for the GTI. It probably will fit the Eurovan, but I don't know if like the intake routing is different. It may actually not. It's kind of like a dumb system, more like an oil separator rather than an actual PCV valve. If I remember right, there is no valve outside the heater. It's just meant for the oil saturated vapors to hit, oil falls back, airflow goes out, back into the intake, and then is routed through the engine. This is why you may see a throttle body on a car like that get quite a bit dirtier than something like that. This car should not have a suction jet pump or an actual valve like say the 1.8 turbos do, or the crazy setup that the new ones have, the new like two liter turbos, because those have to function properly under engine vacuum, neutral, and under boost. We also want to make sure that, you know, all the rest of the maintenance is done on the car too. So Brad, I don't know if you're having some kind of drivability issue that sort of caused you to go that route, or is this just, hey, a PCV valve is part of normal maintenance. Let's go ahead and service it. And you're not finding anything or anybody to service. And that's just weird and different. And I totally get it, but you may not even have to worry about it. If you are having some kind of drivability issue though, poor fuel economy and whatnot, it may be worth pulling the valve cover, cleaning it out, checking it. Maybe it's just clogged or gooped up or something like that, or you have another issue downstream that's causing the problem. All right, last one up is from Daniel. I've been looking to buy a wagon and settled on a Mark VI Jetta Sport Wagon as a solid value option. Be my first VW, I'm not interested in the diesel and I've heard the 2.5 is a dependable and reliable motor. So that's the one I want. I'm only looking for a manual transmission spec car. Very, very cool. Also, good luck, I hope you find one because I think that was a pretty rare bird. I was wondering what you think of buying one of these used, especially considering most of the affordable offerings seem to be at the 70,000 to 100,000 mile range. Also, as I definitely plan on keeping the car long term, how long can I expect one of these to run? What kind of issues can I expect to encounter? Finally, finally, are there any trims or specs to look for when buying or any options to avoid? Thanks in advance, Daniel. Okay, Daniel, love the sport wagon. I love that you're looking for a 2.5 manual. That is probably one of the more reliable powertrain setups that VW's had over the years. Uh, let's talk about a handful of things. First of all, what would I look for package trim-wise? I don't really care. Keep in mind, though, the more stuff you got, 
the more likely you are going to have a failure point. Since you're looking for a manual, you're probably not gonna find one very loaded up anyway, so that may not even be an issue. For the most part, manual transmission cars are base models, so don't, you know, I wouldn't worry too terribly much about that. Here's a handful of things that you're gonna wanna make sure you look at or things you can not necessarily expect to have a problem with, but that are kind of common issues. Door latch failure, common issue. Wheel bearing failure, common issue. Axle boot failure, common issue. Sway bar end links wearing out or failing, pretty common issue. Oil leaks on the 2.5, the vacuum pumps leak, pretty common issue. Valve covers leak, that's pretty common issue. The oil filter housing, because of probably lackluster oil changes or maybe not a commitment to doing an oil change right, those leak. So you're definitely gonna to wanna to look for oil leaks. None of them are deal breakers. None of them are actually a huge expense either. Just something you wanna make sure you know about. The biggest red flag, oh, rear brakes wearing out super fast is another comment on these. The biggest red flag on these cars is going to be the panoramic sunroof. They like to leak. Just like most other VW sunroofs, they leak. And they leak for a couple of reasons. The seals get old and dry and brittle. They aren't clean properly. They get clogged up. The, the drains get clogged up with dirt and yuck. That causes the tube to overfill and causes it to leak. So if you find one with a panoramic sunroof, which the, all the wagons would have had the panoramic sunroof, take a really good look at the headliner and make sure you don't have any water spots. Water leaks on those are not as catastrophic as they are on like the B5 Passats where there was modules under the carpet but you could be dealing with a mold issue or something like that. Airbag lights coming on on these cars is also somewhat common. There was a recall for some cars for the wiring under the seat, and we had to cut a connector out and hardwire it in. Not a big deal and an easy fix. Some of them ended up needing to have side airbags either in the driver or passenger seat, so that's another not super common thing, but it's it's something that happens. Honestly, man, I think these are great cars. You know, I, I know I just rattled off like 87,000 problems that these cars could have, but... None of them are huge issues. None of them are that abnormal of failures for any car. I mean, a bad wheel bearing is common on, on anything. Door latches, if it's a Volkswagen, <laughs> it's going to have a door latch issue most likely. Uh, the wiring harnesses in the doors is another place where I've seen a lot of failures. Not so much on the wagons. The wagons were actually better, I think, for a lot of these things. Door latches and wiring harnesses than the... Uh, than the sedans were, but it's still something you're gonna to wanna to keep in mind. When it comes to major issues on these cars, the biggest one I can think of is going to be upper chain wear or stretch, if you wanna call it stretch. The guides wearing, the N205, the oil control solenoid, that having issues. Sometimes this was solved with an oil change. Other times you did need to do an upper chain. At 70,000, I'm not super worried, unless we're going way back to like 06, 07. If we're looking for something a little bit newer, uh, they weren't nearly as bad as sort of the early the early variant of the 2.5. Now, sometimes we have to play the odds, and I'm just thinking like most manual transmission cars, someone bought deliberately, they're a little more connected to their car. So overall, I think manual transmission cars are better maintained than automatic cars. That's not to say automatic car drivers don't take care of the car. Just think of your average manual transmission car owner versus maybe your average automatic transmission car owner, and a manual transmission car owner typically, in my experience from what I've seen, would take better care of their car. This is good because then you're probably less likely to have that upper chain issue, less likely to have any oiling issues for coking and that kind of stuff. So man, I, I think they're great. I think you can get a good deal on them. You can get one for you know five grand, six grand or something like that in really good shape. This is your first Volkswagen. 
So I would highly recommend you do a couple of things. One, get it inspected by the dealer or a good VW and Audi specific independent shop. This $100 or whatever can be the difference between buying a really nice car or not buying a really nice car and avoiding something that's gonna be really problematic. You might even be able to save a couple bucks on buying the car. This is also gonna give you the opportunity to interview and find a good VW Audi technician to work on your car. Even if you're DIYer, even if you do most of the stuff yourself, there are certain things that you need special tools for that may not make sense to buy the special tool that you're gonna wanna take. And I wish people would spend more time focusing on finding a good technician to work on their car. Cause I think for the most part, we take it to the closest place. We take it to the place we bought it. We don't really do the legwork to find our technician. This is a topic I've talked about a ton. We're spending, you know, in this case, we're buying a, let's say a $5,000 car, but we're spending anywhere from that to $60,000, $70,000, but we're putting zero effort into finding someone to help us maintain that. Even if we're a DIYer, having someone on your list, your go-to dude, your go-to chick to help you out when you have a problem with your car is super, super duper important. So do a little legwork before you buy the car and find that good technician. You might have to interview a handful of people, but there are some really killer European car technicians out there. And, uh, and then you just may have to look a little harder than you really want to. And I wish you didn't have to look hard at all, but definitely spend the time to find a good VW Audi technician local to you to help you keep this thing on the road. Then between you and that technician, you guys can keep that car on the road quite a long time. All right, guys, I'm gonna wrap it up there. Questions or comments, swing over to episode 264 on the blog at humblemechanic.com. Remember to get a question on a show like this, shoot me that email, charles at humblemechanic.com. Put question for Charles in that subject line. Ask your question, give me some space, then give me the details of said question. You can also follow me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and of course, sometimes anyway, on Snapchat. Guys, with that, I'm out. Have an awesome day, and I'll talk to you again next time.